0: To Patients at Risk, a discussion of the dangers that patients face when physicians are replaced with non-physician practitioners. I'm Dr. Rebecca Bernard, and I'm joined by my co-host and the co-author of our book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare, Dr. Naran Al-Ajba. Good evening. On September 29th, 2020, the state of California passed AB 890, a bill allowing nurse practitioners the right to practice without physician supervision the bill received widespread support from groups that benefit from the use of non-physician practitioners, including hospitals and community health centers. Despite opposition from physicians and other patient advocates, the bill was passed with large margins and was signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom. Today, emergency medicine physician Dr. Natalie Newman joins us to discuss the implications of nurse practitioner independent practice in California, one of the largest and most populous states in the union. Dr. Newman is not only a practicing emergency medicine physician in California, but also an outspoken patient advocate and a prolific writer who blogs at authenticmedicine.com. Welcome, Dr. Newman.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be here.
0: Natalie, you've been a leader in speaking out in favor of physician led care for years. Can you tell our listeners why this is so important to you personally?
1: The term actually physician led never really came up until this whole issue of full practice authority to me came up. When I think of medical teams, the physician was always the lead of the team. I have a quote that I it's actually an original quote. I'm trying to remember it now. Something to the effect of that all um, provisions of medical care are measured by the standard of medicine. So anybody who presumes to practice equivalently has the onus on them to prove that their standard actually equates. It's not on us to prove that we don't, we're not, you know? So I believe that there is a hierarchy, but hierarchy is not suggest it, it's become a bad word, but I think that every team has a captain. You have to have a focus. Countries have presidents. Bands have leaders. Sports have captains. Medicine teams have physicians and The team functions as a whole, every member contributes, every role is important, but somebody has to make that final decision and that needs to be the physician.
0: And Natalie, you spent some time in the military, didn't you? I mean, that's definitely a place where we see a hierarchy and the importance of having leadership.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I was in the Army for four years. And you have the enlisted ranks, and then you have the officer ranks, and then each of those have hierarchies. And they are respected. Every member, again, in the military has a role and a position. And you don't have someone who is an enlisted soldier attempting to take over the position of the general. That just won't happen. Yeah,
0: that wouldn't fly in a military setting. But somehow, that seems to be what we're experiencing now in healthcare. So one of the ways that you've been educating physicians and patients is by writing blogs. And also you're really good at using social media. And recently I saw a Twitter thread that you posted that I thought just did an amazing job at breaking down your concerns about why independent practice for nurses in California is dangerous for patients. And I thought maybe we'd go through it because you did a really nice kind of, I think there was like 13 points that you made and I thought we could kind of go through each of them. So the first thing that you pointed out was Was that this AB 890 was sponsored by a dentist and that this dentist actually is of the opinion that nurse practitioners and physicians are essentially the same. So explain why to our listeners why that's not accurate.
1: I think it's pretty simple. There are nurses, there are physicians, there's nursing discipline, and then there's the medicine discipline. They are different. We are under different boards. We have different licenses and we have different training. I don't think it's really that complicated. Jim Wood is a dentist, and like a lot of legislators who want to pass these laws, they're, never, they're neither nurses or physicians, and they determine what they think should happen in the medical arena, which is inappropriate in my opinion. And the nurse practitioners are nurses with master's degrees. That's never gets mentioned, but that's an important point of clarification because when you equate the two, what you're saying is that a master's degree is equivalent to a medical degree, which is ludicrous. Okay. So, and the doctorate of nursing practice degree is not equivalent to any other doctorate degree, like doctor of veterinary medicine, doctor of dentistry doctor of pharmacy or optometry, those are extended, requires extended training generally of about a minimum of four years. The doctor of nursing practice degrees are online and do not require that many amount of years, and they're not equivalent to PhDs, but they claim equivalence. They're also 85% of them are not cl- non-clinical, so they shouldn't even be used in this Clinical scenario, in my opinion, they're academic and should be used in the teaching scenario. So I think the important thing for patients to take away is to understand the nurses and doctors are complementary, but not interchangeable and that we work as a team, but each of us has our own unique role. They may appear the same because we work in the same environment and some of the duties overlap, but there is a clear distinction.
0: Yeah, well, there definitely should be. But if you know, as this California law has been passed, they make it sound like we're awfully a lot the same, and that we can do the exact same things. And we're One of the things we're going to talk about today is why that's so dangerous, because what Dr. Newman is saying is 100% right, we're very different, we have different training. So let's go into the next point that you make. And what you wrote was, As is typical with full practice authority, the plan on how that law will be executed is disorganized. And you had multiple reasons why. And first of all, that nurse practitioners that are independent are going to have oversight by the Board of Nursing and not the Board of Medicine. And tell our listeners about some of the problems that the California Board of Nursing has been experiencing lately, just dealing with nurses and nurse practitioners even before they were independent.
1: Well, the Board of Nursing was discovered by the state auditor to have falsified documents, so they're under investigation, and they falsified documents of complaints. There were complaints of nurse mismanagement or patient complaints that were never addressed, some of them up to 10 years, six years, year, that were not followed up. And when the auditor came through, they attempted to make it appear as if some of these cases were actually being investigated when they were not. So they falsified those documents. She caught those and they were held accountable for it. The nursing board also was the only nursing association that opposed AB 890. They did not want to supervise nurse practitioners. They made that clear. And they also made it clear that they could not manage that volume and RNs and LVNs as well. And so I do commend them for acknowledging that. In my opinion, they were forced to do it anyway, and their concern was dismissed. And I think to compromise, they created this advisory board of nurse practitioners and physicians who have input into the punishment of nurse practitioners or uh, in their practice. Uh, But that input does not have to be followed. So it's not mandatory, it's just an advisory committee that really, in my opinion, has no power. Initially, the nurse practitioners, actually Jim Wood wanted a nurse practitioner board, but he wanted physicians on it, he wanted a mix. The nurse practitioners adamantly opposed having physicians on the board with any kind of power. And I think the advisory committee ended up being a compromise between the nursing board not wanting to really oversee the NPs, but to have some kind of board and call it an advisory committee and gave it no power, just input. And so I think it's a joke, to be honest. I just think it's uh I don't think it's legitimate overall. And I think that the, the ultimate decision was that the NPs basically have control over how this is how this bill is going to be displayed ultimately.
0: Right. So this advisory committee is going to be seven members, four, they said, quote, quote qualified nurse practitioners, whatever that means, two wow. physicians and surgeons with demonstrated experience working with nurse practitioners, so I'm guessing allies, and one public member. So these seven uh, people are on this advisory committee. And one of the things that they get to do as part of their responsibility is that, They are supposed to have an evaluation performed, something called an occupational analysis. And this was in the bill, and it says that the board and the advisory committee is supposed to assess the competencies that are tested in the nurse practitioner certification exam to determine whether or not that exam is able to show that nurse practitioners can practice independently. And if they can't, if they've shown that the competencies are not adequate, then the the board and the advisory committee is supposed supposed to come up with a new board exam. But of course, this is all supposed to happen, like the assessment is supposed to happen by January 1st, 2023. So two years from now, we'll know whether or not the exam is good enough to assess for independent practice. So that's not very forward thinking, as far as I can tell. That's, you know, letting people do something and then determining later on whether or not it was safe for them to do it.
1: Well, you see the look of disgust on my face because you know how ridiculous that sounds. That should have been done before the passage of the law. Correct. To make sure someone was qualified to even practice independently, you have to establish those guidelines beforehand and solidify them and then think about passing a law before you allow people to go out and practice on patients. And that's the sloppiness of the bill. It was pass it at all costs, and then we'll figure
2: out how we're going to do it later. And but, you know, that's been the trend. I mean, just to point out, the VA has done this. All of the states in the, in the union right. that have done this, that have uh, passed independent or free practice, they've all done it with no data, um, and really actually data that is... Pointing in the wrong direction. And they've been able to just push it past. So this is just another state that will be able to do the same, which is too bad.
0: Yeah, it really is. And then let's look at what the criteria are for nurse practitioners to be able to practice independently according to this bill. First of all, they have to have passed their certification exam. And in a previous podcast, we talked about that. We talked about how the pass rates are, I think it was 76% for one exam and 81% for the other. And these are very, I mean, relatively simple. Exams. Exams, 200 questions, three to four hours, nothing like physician exams in any means. Uh, So they have to pass that exam. They have to show that they attended school, and they can't have done their clinical hours online, but they could do the rest of everything else online. And they have to have practiced, they say, a minimum of three full-time equivalent years or 4,600 hours before they're allowed to practice independently. So what do you think when you hear, you know, 4,600 hours and knowing that they do 500 hours in their training?
1: There are no words. <laughs> there are no words. because I just, all of this sounds, is absurd. And I don't, there's so much talking and so many words. And I'm a verbose person, okay, but there are some things that are pretty simple that are not complex. And when you infuse a bunch of words like that, people get caught up in that mess, and they miss the message. And the message is basically saying, we're taking nurses with master's degrees, and we're going to allow them to practice as physicians. And in order for them to do that, they have to have three years of full-time nurse practitioner experience, not physician or medical, and then we'll give them a certification that we haven't figured out yet.
0: They say nothing about what kind of practice, it just says they have to have this number of hours of practice that could be doing anything really so and there's no sense of like, do they have to be signed off by anybody to show that they're competent, it's just basically working for that number of hours
2: what I find fascinating about this whole thing is that we are almost going back to a time that I would call pre-Flexner, where any physician or anyone who said like, I'm just going to be a doctor around the country, you know, could really do that. You could be a person who apprenticed for years and years with a physician who worked and really felt comfortable. And when that physician, you know, left or whatever, you took over the practice versus you could just pay some snake oil salesman to say that, you know, you did whatever you did. Obviously for physicians, we implemented regulations and this is why. Because every physician you go to at least has had the training and the years of practice and then passed these board exams. And what we're looking at right now is a nation without a flexor report for the field of advanced nursing. And I think that's probably the kind of way to summarize it best is just that there's gonna be great nurse practitioners who did everything right. They may have done five years or 10 years with a doctor because they're conscientious people who know what they're gonna be facing. And that's the kind of nurse practitioner that I would wanna work alongside. But at the same time, we will have people who cut corners.
1: What bothers me the most is also the ones that you're talking about that are online, they can still go out there and practice and practice for those three years that are required, um, and still be doing shoddy practice. That's not overseen, but they have that, they can prove that they've worked full time for three years and, and still be allowed to go out. So that to me is not validation that they're qualified. It's just upsetting to me that legislators won't look at this more closely and that they think that this is such a good idea. It's almost, let's just pass this and see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, then we can retract it. But the consequences are patients. They're not inanimate object, they're the humans. Those consequences can be very harmful or even deadly because there's no consistency. The qualified nurse practitioners who did it right, most of them don't wanna practice independently because they understand what it is they don't know. The ones who tried to take the shortcut have a Dunning-Kruger effect mentality and think they know more than they actually do. And so if there is malpractice or negligence, all they have to do is state that they didn't know.
0: And you make that point really well in your thread, which I'm going to get to that in just one second. But before I do, I just want to say a few other things about what this bill says, which is that independent nurse practitioners can practice essentially anywhere in a clinic, a health facility, correctional treatment, state hospital, medical group practice, home health hospice, they can serve on medical staff and hospital committees. And then as far as what they're allowed to do, the bill kind of spells it out. And you know what it sounds like to me, the practice of medicine, they've got conduct an advanced assessment, order, perform, and interpret diagnostic procedures, order and utilize findings and results in treating the patient, order and interpret lab procedures, establish differential diagnoses, diagnose, prescribe, and institute therapy or referral of patients, prescribe, dispense, or furnish pharmacological agents, including controlled substances, certified disability, and delegate tasks to a medical assistant. I mean, what's the difference between that and practicing medicine?
1: There isn't, but I, there's one important thing that sometimes it's important what's not said. If you look at, where they said develop a differential diagnosis and primary diagnoses. They don't say nursing or medical diagnoses. They leave it out. That is intentional. You leave a loophole, a gray area, because if you say medical, then that bill is admitting that they're practicing medicine if they make a medical diagnosis. If you say a nursing diagnosis, then you have no business allowing them that type of independence or freedom. So I think that was also intentional to make it gray so that they would have this. freedom. The passage of the FPA is a lot of Loopholes and gray areas that allow them to expand into areas they have no business being. In California, we had something called standardized procedures, which allowed nurses to legally perform certain functions that would otherwise be considered the practice of medicine. And that is approved through their board of nursing. And that's if they want to do it in a particular hospital, facility, medical office, and they have to be established standardized procedures that are approved by the board of nursing. Okay. That's being done away with. So now these areas that meandered into the field of medicine, they get to still do that just without oversight. So you're letting them practice medicine. Full practice authority is the practice of medicine without a medical license. That's what full practice authority is. What, if you ask anyone, what is the definition of practicing advanced nursing, whatever the heck that is, there is no answer. There is no answer because they're really nurses with advanced degrees, advanced education. They are not advanced clinically to be able to practice independently like as a physician would. And I think also what is meant is typically passed over by the AAP, the American uh, Academy or American Association of Physician Assistants, American Association of Nurse Practitioners and legislators and a lot of physicians who support this is they dismiss the importance of the didactic knowledge we get in medical school. That solid foundation. That is a rock solid foundation when we're repetitively introduced to certain disorders, diseases. That's why a dermatologist Understands that a newborn with a fever has to be sent to the ER. Okay. That explains why a psychiatrist understands a pregnant woman with abdominal pain of childbearing years it needs to be sent to the ER. So we have that foundation. They don't have that. So the deficits will manifest themselves in the management of patients and that will build up. You can only sweep so much under the rug before the rug becomes full.
0: And you, you put it so well. So the bill attempted to mitigate a little bit of this. And here's what they did. They said, number one, the nurse practitioner has to verbally inform all new patients in a language understandable to the patient that a nurse practitioner is not a physician and surgeon. For purposes of Spanish language speakers, of course, California being a big Spanish speaking state, the nurse practitioner shall use the standardized phrase Enfermera Especializada. So they made it clear that they have to say they're not a physician, at least verbally. And then they have to post a notice in a conspicuous location accessible to public view that the nurse practitioner is regulated by the Board of Nursing, and the notice must include the board's telephone number and website, and that is where the license would be checked. Although, as we pointed out, the Board of Nursing is not excited about this. They didn't want this, so I'm sure that they're not looking forward to getting a lot of phone calls and complaints, and they're they're not even sure how they're going to be able to supervise this, but...
1: Well, right. They're not going to be able to supervise it. It's not going to
2: happen. They can't
0: yeah. supervise it now. I mean, when we talk about various cases, I mean,
2: really big mistakes, having sex with your patients, treating hyperthyroidism oh, incorrectly, treating hypothyroidism incorrectly, things that we that have been drilled into our brains for, for years and years. They can't even stop the basic things, let alone, I mean, and if physicians are having sex with their patients, let's be very clear, they lose their licenses. Absolutely. I mean, it, it doesn't take much time. It takes one report, even if it's consensual. and think I'm not defending it. I'm just saying, even if there's technically no crime, their licenses are pulled as it should be. So again, you know, we have enough ability to regulate our own. And I think that's a really important point.
1: First of all, we have to assume that they're going to do that. That's based on an honor code, that they're going to put those that up in a visible place. And that they're going to tell patients that they are, in fact, nurse practitioners. Well, I can tell you, California, that's already something they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be identifying the as nurse practitioners and they are not doing it. And they're supposed to list who their supervising physician is. And we know they don't do that because we will call the offices PPP and ask them for the name of who their supervising physician is. And they will refuse to give us the name, nor is it posted anywhere. And that is something that's required by law and no one is enforcing it. This is a supervised state is just not strictly supervised. So they get away with it. So imagine how much worse it's going to be now that they have this bill in their favor.
0: Right. And that is the biggest issue to me is about transparency and patients knowing what they're getting themselves into. And then what I think is just the biggest issue of this whole thing, and you spend a lot of time on your thread really teasing this out. It's the third requirement, which it says, a nurse practitioner shall refer a patient to a physician and surgeon or other licensed healthcare provider if a situation or condition of a patient is beyond the scope of the education and training of the nurse practitioner. No kidding. And what Natalie says in her post is basically what you just said. It is up to them honor code for them to refer patients that they think need to be referred. And that's the problem is, are they going to know? And then also, secondly, what's going to happen to the physicians that get those referrals? What does that look like to them? And that's something that I think if I were a California physician, I'd be very concerned about.
1: Right, because now you're in that chain. So if something, if there's a bad outcome because that nurse practitioner delayed care, that doctor's now in the loop and is stands to be sued. I can
2: tell you who is going to benefit and they're going to benefit greatly. And that would be the malpractice lawyers. I mean, it's- it's it's phenomenal to me how many millions of dollars that they are going to be able to win on behalf of patients who die, because we see that all the time. And what's amazing is many of the cases that we reviewed for the book and have reviewed even still, the nurse practitioner will say, well, I didn't need to know that. I was working in you know the emergency room, but I didn't need to know about appendicitis. Or I was working in the hospital and I didn't need to know about a cardiac problem. And, and the thing is nursing, so system-based, there's this idea that, You're in one system and you can't get out of that system. And physicians, obviously, it's a little bit different. It's ironic that they say we don't look at the whole patient because we are experts in the whole patient. And so I think the malpractice lawyers are going to, you know, it's going to be a windfall and that's what will change the public, I think, opinion over time.
1: Unfortunately, we have to wait for those consequences, which, and we know that it's happening. The the thing that irks me the most is that the legislators who don't want to interact with PPP don't understand the cases that we get every single friggin' day. Every day that's on a much larger scale than they can imagine. If you have a membership of 13,000 physicians, and we've all seen these patients, even if we only saw one, that's 13,000 patients. That's still too many patients, but we're seeing way more than that. Okay. And in an ER, multiple because the MPs send them to the ER and we see who's mismanaged. When you, when they, the number of patients who are having active heart attacks that they have drive themselves to the emergency department. I mean, it, it's, it's ridiculous. But I, what I've mentioned many times and what I want to clearly mention here for anyone who's watching is that none of the full practice authority states has any regulatory body, any nursing body, any legislative body followed up what the quality of care is In those states before and after FPA. So you pass a law that allows nurses to practice on patients independently or unsupervised. And then you don't follow up to see if the quality of care measures up. You just presume that it measures up. And the more states that pass it, the more that presumption is made that the care must be good because these states have passed it with no one actually looking to see if that is the case. So it's the, it's the, they're following the crowd without doing the homework. And I believe that if they do the homework, they will be appalled at what they find. Because look at what we found, and we're a smaller group. Imagine if they actually did an audit of a state with FPA like Arizona, who's had it for a while and looked at the statistics, the malpractice data, their data, and, the, and if they did that, what they would find. And I know what they would find because you're sending people out there who are not qualified to practice medicine and they're getting all of their training online. And mo- if they can't work as an RN, they certainly as hell cannot work as a nurse practitioner. And they're being allowed to go out and do that with no oversight. So I blame the legislators, too. I think they should be arrested as accessories to a crime.
0: Well, I agree with you that they definitely, a- after you permit practice like this, why aren't you going back and checking to make sure that things are going well? And you're so right. I haven't seen any studies and there has been full practice authority for many years in quite a few states. And we really have not seen any good literature on that.
1: It hasn't been done in right. of those states, not one state. And so I think it's, it's disgraceful.
0: And then getting back to the bill, uh, I want to point out a few things. The bill tries to be, they try to help the nurse practitioners know because, you know, they're supposed to refer if it's outside of their scope. So Mm -hmm. they lay out some, some guidelines and here they are. A- Emergent conditions requiring prompt medical intervention after initial stabilizing care has been started. So I'm assuming that that means no autonomous nurse practitioner in the emergency room because they're saying that would need to be referred. B, acute decompensation of a patient situation. So to me, that's any kind of urgent care or anything the patient's not doing well. C, problem which is not resolving as anticipated. D, history, physical or lab findings inconsistent with the clinical perspective. Well, you've got to know that information first before you can figure that out. Mm -hmm. And so basically, they've tried to lay it out that if anything is not going well at all, that the nurse practitioner is supposed to refer to a physician. So I don't know how that's actually going to be managed in in real life. It sounds like that isn't going to be easy for the Board of Nursing to do. And that requires an honor system, just like now Natalie has pointed out.
1: Yeah, What they put on that list, because one of the things we complained about here when we were fighting the bill is that they don't know what they don't know. And I think that was Jim Wood's attempt to try and delineate, here are the things you would send to, like spoon feeding. Here's when you'll send them to the doctor. Problem is he can't possibly make that list long enough. And what is listed in there, you, you have to assume that they're going to know what they're seeing. So if they see something where the patient is decompensating or they're critically ill, well, how many kids have we seen who have DKA that they sent home? Twice. Right. Okay. And those patients are dead, deathly ill. OK, so that's a true emergency that needs to go to the ER by an ambulance and they send them home to follow up in like a week. So if they don't recognize it, what good is it to make that list if they don't recognize what they're seeing? That's the point that's being missed. They first have to recognize it. How do they recognize it if they've never been trained in it?
0: Right. That's the problem. But what that's, I think is very interesting is letter E on this list of referrals is upon request of patient. So it is very clear in the law that if a patient requests to be transferred to a physician, they have that right. Patients should know in California that if you're being treated by an independent nurse practitioner and you would like to be seen by a physician, you have that right according to this bill. And I think that's really important and something that we need to let patients know about. Let's talk for a few more minutes about the liability issue. And Natalie, you included in your thread the fact that There is not always going to be justice for patients that are being treated by nurse practitioners because nurse practitioners are not held to the same standard as physicians. Right. And you point out in your post some specific case law. So fine versus permanente medical group in 1985, the jury should not be instructed that the standard of care for a nurse practitioner is to be measured by the standard of care for a physician when the nurse is examining a patient or making a diagnosis. And basically, this has been shown in case law over and over again. So I think that patients need to be aware that if, some, if a nurse does miss something, that they may not receive justice in that event.
1: Right. And that's why I posted on Twitter. When I post on Twitter, I'm not only posting for doctors to be informed in general, particularly California doctors, I want the public to be informed. And it is a public page, and a lot of people see it, and then they share it. And so they have to understand that California law clearly states that Nurse practitioners are not held to the medical standard and will not be held to the medical standard. So Jim Wood decided in all his omnipotence that they can practice as physicians, but the state has said, okay, but we're still going to hold them to the nursing standard. So you patients who end up uh, with the consequences, we wish you the best because they're not going to be held to the standard. They're being allowed to practice, but they're not going to be held to that standard. And we um, are sorry, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles.
0: Right. And And they need to be
1: aware of that. And if there's um, a rule which hasn't been written yet, but I suspect that it's either going to be their malpractice insurance companies or the nursing board who determines that they need a collaborating physician like they do in other states, then that collaborating physician will become the scapegoat if they're stupid enough to become the collaborating physician.
0: And that's something that you, as you said, you're, you provide education to patients, but also to physicians. And one of the things that you've said very clearly is you've told doctors, Hey, if you're employed or hospital attached, be careful, you are at risk, you may be forced to supervise quote or take these referrals. And these patients may be very sick, and you may be responsible now for them. And if you're an independent doctor, you should realize that you have a choice. And you should consider not being a physician of record, you should consider protecting your license. And maybe you shouldn't take these referrals.
1: What's going to ultimately happen is if doctors actually do do that, then the nurses, nurse practitioners are going to end up sending the patients to the ER and the ERs are going to be overwhelmed and they're already overwhelmed for nonsense anyway. But if those referrals that they're trying to send, the doctor doesn't want to be in that chain. Because if you're going to practice independently, then the doctors don't owe them anything, okay? When they were supervised legally, not only did not they not have to pay for that supervision, the doctor has certain culpability legally, and there was no way around it. Once you decide you want to practice independently, you cannot make the same demand of the physicians. They don't have to respect it. That's why they have to pay them. If you're going to have them put their license at risk, you have to pay them. So then they complain about paying. So you want, you want your independent practice, but you want a physician in in the background to be the scapegoat, but you don't want to pay them for it. You want them to still take that risk and then throw them under the bus. So I said, any physician who agrees with that deserves to lose their license if they're stupid enough to do that. But some of them, like those of us who work in the ER, you don't have a choice and you can either choose to leave or stay. But if you stay, what I did is I stayed on them like white on rice. I mean, I didn't care how busy it was. I saw the patient, I didn't allow any mid-levels that I worked with to see infants, newborns or anything like that. I didn't really allow them to see children. And I would see pretty much every patient they saw unless it was a medication refill, but I had to review every 100% of the charts. And if that meant staying after three hours, then I stayed three hours and I did that. And that's what kept my record clean. That's what kept my license clean. But I didn't get paid for that time. I didn't get paid overtime, I had to do that on my own, but that's my license and that's how I make my living. So that's what I had to do. And that's what a lot of physicians don't do. And that's why they get caught.
0: You're so right. I wanna thank Dr. Natalie Newman for joining us. And I just wanna remind then our patients out there and physicians that even though California has passed independent practice for nurse practitioners, patients, you have the right to decline care by an independent nurse practitioner, that's in the law. You can request a physician. And physicians, you also may want to consider realizing your liability if you're involved with these uh, nurse practitioners, and just to know what you may be getting yourself into when you accept referrals or transfers from nurse practitioners. So if you'd like to learn more about this topic, we encourage you to get our book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare. It's available at barnesandnoble.com and at Amazon. And of course, we encourage physicians to learn more by joining us at Physicians for Patient Protection. protection.org. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and also to our YouTube channel, and we will see you on the next podcast.